How many seconds in a minute? 60. Great. Very good. Very good. You're doing really well. How many minutes in an hour? Very good. Some of you are afraid to answer. This is not a trick question. All right. 60. Very good. How many hours in a day? Okay. We're doing great. How many days in a week? Seven. I heard someone say six. <laughs> You're really bad. All right. No. All right. That's fine. How many days in a month? Okay. That one was a trick question. All right. All right. And how many days in a year? Very good. Some of you get feeling like, okay, he's not going to trick us. All right, very good. So you've done really well, but now it gets harder. How many hours in a year? Thank you very much. Was that you? Oh, it was Tom. Okay, good. All right, yeah. Some of you are whipping out your phone calculators right now. I'm trying to do it. I see you, John Moraney. You're trying to figure it out right now. I'll just tell you before you get there, it's 8,760 hours in a year. Based on that, an individual who's 55 years old, which is very young and has a great deal of potential for still being very hip, <laughs> a person who is 55 years old, that person has lived 481,800 hours. Yeah, really. Makes you feel old, even at 55, doesn't it? 70 years old, a 70-year-old person or someone like myself who hopes to live to 70 years old or something, they can expect to live 613,200 hours. That's a lot of hours. If you live to be 70 years old, those who do this kind of research say this, that you'll spend 16 years working, 15 years sleeping, 5 to 7 years watching TV, Two to four years with other recreation. Three years eating, although it's obvious some of us are pushing that. Two years commuting, unless you drive on I-95 and are coming north on it right now. And then this research must have been done before Facebook because that's not in here at all and how that affects your time. Now, one last question. One last question. How many hours... In eternity. Yeah, some of you are trying to give me a real answer to that. There's not a real answer, okay? I just let you know that. They're endless. It's endless, right? Time goes on forever. Some of you right now are probably, like those, those of you in the group who are obsessive-compulsive, that's making you crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I can see, yeah, some of you said it right out. Okay, we've diagnosed a few of you immediately, yeah. So you can kill that thing now. But, you know, just like seconds ticking away time ticking away. Now then, if it's true that, you know, eternity has an endless amount of hours, seconds and minutes, let me just ask you, if that's true, then how are you preparing to spend those hours, seconds and minutes in eternity? Let me just give you a real quick disclaimer. This sermon today is really geared right at Christians, right at Christians. And so if you're here today and you don't know this question about eternity and you're like going, I've never really even thought about eternity. I really have never even thought about that I would be in eternity. Then this message is really about people who know what they're doing for eternity. 
This message is really for people who know that when they take their last breath, they will open up their eyes on the other side and be face-to-face with the creator of the universe and will be with him for all eternity. This sermon today is for people who know that they'll wake up, that when they take that last breath, that they'll lay to rest a broken body, that they'll lay to rest broken relationships. They'll lay to rest all worries about the mortgage, all worries about terrorism, all worries about traffic. They'll lay to rest anything like that that would ever be a distraction to them. They know that when they close their eyes that last time, all of that's done. Because on the other side, when that blink happens on the other side, nothing like that exists because it is in perfect harmony because God rules and reigns in that place and he is present there. And coming into his presence, there is no more worry. There is no more concern. That broken body is healed. Those relationships are a thing of the past. I-95 doesn't exist anymore. All of that's gone on the other side. Having said that, though, if you're here today and you're not sure about eternity, let me just tell you a few things. There is a line right here in our carpet. This line is a representative that representation that we use all the time here at Crossing. I do anyway. Everyone else, they, they could probably do this as well now. But on this side of that line are you, is perhaps is you. And on this side of the line, you might not know what to think about eternity. On this side of that line, you might not know whether you are going to spend eternity coming back as a cow, coming back as nothing, coming back as another person, just nothingness after that. On this side of the line, there's great uncertainty about what's going to happen on the other side. And the reason that is, is because on this side of the line, in a life a part of Christ, in a life uncertain about your eternity, on this side of the line, that exists because sin has broken our relationship with God. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they, when they stepped out and they just took a bite of the apple, it wasn't the fact that they ate the apple. It wasn't being safe for dessert. It's the fact that they were told not to. And just like people, they exercised their will against God's will. That is sin. And so in that moment, that sin separated man from God and put a gap between them. And a penalty was owed for that sin in that moment. And that penalty was only, the only penalty that was worthy for that sin to pay it was a sinless life. And therefore, no man could ever pay it. For no man ever lived a sinless life. But in that same moment... God declared that I have a solution, I have a redemption that is on its way that will redeem all mankind from the sin of Adam and Eve. And that, sin was, and, that, and that redemption was in the form of his sinless son coming to live a sinless life on this earth to be wrongly accused, wrongly tried, wrongly convicted, wrongly executed. By man's definitions, by God's definitions, he was executed at God's desire. It was his good and perfect will for his son to die and to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. For your sin and my sin. His death is that penalty. 
And so what happens is, is we come to this place on this side of the line of like feeling like there's something missing, feeling like I can't pay that price. I've tried hard. I'm tired. And it comes to a point in time where today, and I'm doing this right now, that if you've never believed that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin and could redeem your relationship with God, could give you a perfect relationship with God, today is that day. Today is that day. And all it takes is for you to understand that you can never make good what Adam and Eve broke, but Jesus can. And by his death and by his resurrection, that is your penalty paid, and all you have to do is believe that that penalty can be yours and that he died for you. For God so loved the world that he died. God so loved the world that he died for you so that you don't have to. It's so simple that many believe that that's a hindrance. It's so simple that many believe that that can't be true. But the fact of the matter is, is that's all there is to it. It's changing what you believe about what it means to have a relationship with God. On this side of the line, people work. On this side of the line, people do. To step across this line into a relationship with God, it's not what you do, it's what you believe. To step across this line, you simply have to believe that Christ did all the work to bring you into a relationship with Christ, to bring you into a relationship with God. When you change what you believe about that, you step across the line. Immediately inside, you were dead. Immediately inside, your heart was hardened against him, even though you'll say that you were seeking him. But immediately, when you say that I believe that Christ's death is my death, you change, and in that moment, he changes you on the inside, and he gives you life, spiritual life. Now then, take note. Nowhere in here did I say you had to pay anything in any way, form, or fashion. Nowhere in here have I said that you had to do anything. Nowhere in here did I say that God required anything of you to step across this line from death to life, from being apart from God to being with God. But the fact of the matter is this. He paid the entire price. It cost him everything so that you and I can cross the line and come into a relationship with him. But once you're on this side of the line, he wants everything. It costs you nothing to cross the line. But once you're here, it costs you everything. He gave up his life. And on this side of the line, he wants your life. In Luke 9, he talks about that every day that we would lay down our life and follow him and take up a cross. And that cross is like, it's like what he desires for us. It's like whatever it is he wants from us, that is what we do in that day. If you've never done that before, today I pray you'd do that. If you've never ever thought about eternity, today I pray you'd do that. Because what we're talking about here today is talking about for people who are going to spend eternity with the living creator God. And if you've never done that, I pray that you'd do it today. Matter of fact, I'm even going to pause right now. And I'm going to ask that God's spirit would compel you to talk to him. I can share with you the stories of people in this room who God just acted in their life and they knew that they had to respond to his calling them. I pray that he's doing that to you right now. So we're going to pause and pray. I'm going to ask God to do a work in your life. And if he's done so, after the service, I hope you just come up and talk to me. That's all there is. Not going to be any embarrassment, anything else like that. All right? Let's pray. 
Father, today I want to come and talk to you because I believe that there are people in this room who do not know you as their personal Savior, who do not have an intimate, close relationship with you, who cannot say that they know what their eternal destiny is. And I pray that your Spirit is at work in their life right now, that they know that you are calling them, that they know that the thing to do right now is to respond to you. Just say, yes, God. I pray that they would do that now, to not resist you, just respond and say, yes, God. Yes, God. If you just said yes to God, I'd love for you to come up and talk to me after service. Just let me know. All right? So, we've talked about that if you're a Christian, you know, what you're, you know that eternity waits on you. You know that you have an eternity's worth of hours. And my question for you is, what are you doing about that in this life? What do you think God calls you to in this life? Well, he's planned things for you there, but he also has important things for you here in these hours. And so what it is is this. Let's just open up. Well, if you can open up your Bible if you want to, Ephesians 4, but I'm also going to put it up here. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. And here's this passage right here, and it says this. He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints to the works of service for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of Man, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Someone talk to me. What does that passage say that we need to be doing in this life before we go into eternity? Talk to me. Come, come. You want to see the first one? Does that help you any? What is he asking from us in this life now? Teach. Teach? All right. What else? Tell other people about God. What else? To be trained. What else? Patience. All right. What else? Excuse me? To be equipped. I hate it when people read my notes. But go ahead. What else? Right. To be seeking him every day to find his design on your life. All right. Good. To share the love of God, no matter. All right, very good. Great, Grant. I think that, you know, really, I, you know, everything we've said, I think we could, we could pack it in to the last part of this passage here. And he says, until we all attain, all attain, there's something to be attained to the unity of faith and to the knowledge. There's knowledge. We're supposed to be attaining knowledge of the Son of God. Well, how much knowledge? Until we become mature, mature man in him. What? How mature? How do you define that? That maturity is defined as the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, what he's calling us to is in this life, every single day we're to be, we're to be growing, we're to be striving, we're to be laboring, we're to be doing everything we can to become more and more of like Christ, to 
reach the fullness of him, the stature that is the fullness of Christ, to be like him in this life, to be like him. That is the call he has in this life. That's what he's looking for from us in this life. There's some other passages that I really, really like, and I've, and I've talked to us about it before. In Timothy, uh, remember Bob last week, Bob, Bob Beck? I almost understand. I think it was Bob Beck who was talking about the 316s. Yes. Right? Right. Listen, this is one of the 316s he was talking about. All Scripture is inspired by God for what? It's profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequately, adequate, equipped for every good work. Equipped. Yeah, that's the word. Equipped. It's one of the things we talk about here at Crossing. We talk about that we want to be equipped exactly for this, for every good work. That's what he's called us to. You can go back here and you see what is, what is it that God wants from us? He says that he wants the equipping of the saints for the work of service. So he says that someone is supposed to equip the saints for the works of service. That means the saints are supposed to be doing the works of service. That's us. That's what he's asking from us. We're supposed to be doing works of service, and we're supposed to be growing until we become more and more like him, the full stature of Christ. The full stature of Christ. And then you look at this passage in Timothy. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you to go back to Timothy and, and, and take it, print it out, and start marking it up. And mark up all the verbs, all those action words in that book. Because there is nothing docile about what God has called us to. There in this is this tension right here where he says, rest in me. And so when I first read that, I thought, that's great then. I will sit and rest and he will change me. And then you read Timothy and it says, be diligent. And over and over and over again in Timothy, he talks about our job is to be diligent. Our job is to be about becoming like him. That doesn't sound like we're resting in him. And I think that our, our relationship with God is, is constantly a tension between he's completely sovereign and we have choice. We're supposed to rest and we're supposed to be busy. And somewhere in that tension is the right thing. In our minds, I don't understand how both can be true, but God is a lot bigger than me. And they can be true for him. So in this life, we talk about being equipped We talked about being trained. When we talk about the minutes and the seconds that we have and how we use them and how many we have. Fact of the matter is this, and I'm not being and I'm not being fresh, but it's true. Some of us have fewer minutes than others in this life. But none of us, none of us have a guarantee for how many minutes we have in this life. There's a lot of things that we have about us in our lives that consume our minutes and our hours. Things like recreation, things like hobbies, things like sports, things that we do that are fun. Let's leave it at that. Lots of them. Let the glove represent that. 
But it could be quilting. It could be anything at all that, we, that consumes our time. Recreation. Now then, it's funny, but this is just a more pointed, some of you are going to sting, some of you are going to squirm, others are going to go, I'm so glad you said that, I hate that stuff. This right here is a black hole. <laughs> how much time does it take to really know how to do those games? It seems that it's no problem to equip ourselves to know how to save the world or how to win a baseball game or a basketball game or whatever the case may be. There's never any shortage of time to how to learn how to do that. There's really never a shortage of time of how to take one of these, which is a wallet, and fill it with something. Actually, what we do is we're really good at never really filling it, but always keeping it empty. seems like there's always unlimited amount of time to pour into filling one of these up and finding comfort, finding security in what's inside one of these. It seems like for some of us that we know every storyline to the Game of Thrones. We all have our TV shows. But some of us can tell you every character, every plot line, everything that's ever happened. You even saw that demonstrated at Christmas time when we, as a family, when we get down to Florida, all 15 of us went to go see Star Wars, went back to the house for dinner, and it was like everyone was an expert in it. I'm like going, how do these people know so much about this show? It's because they've equipped themselves in that show. Technology, the newest thing, whatever it may be, knowing how to use it, knowing how to be an expert on it, knowing how to like it. And these are just a few things we had lying around the house. There are many, many, many more things that we spend our seconds and our minutes on. There is only one thing that we can spend our seconds and our minutes on that impacts eternity. And it seems like it is this one thing that we seem like we have so little time for. It's because we make so much time for that other stuff. Christians, we've been given minutes and seconds. We've been given a charge to grow into maturity, to come into the full stature of the Son of God, to be equipped for every good work. There is nothing wrong with baseball, especially if your team is winning. There is nothing wrong with video games. There's nothing wrong with TV. There is nothing wrong with technology. There's nothing wrong with working and earning a good living and a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with any of that until it gets in the way of this. Then it's wrong. Then it's wrong. That's the problem I have with us as Christians is is that because some of us don't exercise that self-discipline and many of us probably 
spend too much time on TV or too much time on technology, surfing the web or too much time playing the games or too much time watching our sports team, then all that stuff is bad. None of that stuff is bad. We make them bad because we take Christ out of the throne and we put this other stuff there. Christians, we have minutes, seconds, and hours that he's given us to equip ourselves to do good works, that he's given us to invest ourselves in becoming into the full stature of Christ. And anything that gets in the way of that becomes a bad thing. This year, we are going to be calling us as a church to be intentional about equipping. We're going to be calling us as a church to be intentional about looking at the people around us and seeing them as people that God sent us to them. We're going to be intentional in calling us to be serving. And that service happens in so many different ways. But none of it is insignificant. But all of it could be short-circuited by all that stuff. Right now, I'd like for you to just take a minute. Not even that long, just a few seconds. I'd like for you to think about your equipping. I'd like for you to think about your own spiritual process, your own spiritual growth, and what God is leading you in. And then I want you to think about the things that are getting in the way of that. Just take a minute. If you're uncertain about that question, or if you're actually, and I don't think this is out of the question, but that you're struggling with answering it honestly or wanting to respond, the three hours with God is a great time to come and wrestle with him alone. Stay for as long as you want to. Come to the three hours with God. Find a quiet spot and then just tell him, I'm not liking this. I need to talk to you about it. Tell him that you know where he's leading you and you need him to change your heart and to lead you there gladly. Let's pray.